we were in negotiations for investing in real estate. They're winning, they're making money. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Educators Podcast, where we provide the education you can build on. I am your host, Kevin Amos. I got to tell you, we're into season two right now, and I am having a blast with this podcast. The reason for that is we're helping real estate investors and real estate content creators. So if you're a real estate investor or you're trying to do some content marketing to real estate investors, this is the podcast for you. And I have a fantastic guest with me today that's going to help me with this. One of the more decorated investors that we've had on the show, James. You've you're an author. You are a public speaker. You're the owner of your real estate um, brokerage firm, which is t- highly ranked. Um, I know you've done two mortgage funds as an investor for what three hundred and fifty million dollars um, of value, and best selling author. I got my copy. Haven't quite read it yet, but thank you so much for sending that to me. And you're also been a guest lecturer at several colleges here. I have. Columbia, Fordham, NYU, and Wharton. And what you didn't send me, James, is in your book, apparently you've been part of over 500 transactions worth over $5 billion in business. That is amazing. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much, Kevin, for having me. Thank you so much for what you put out there. It's such incredible content for the real estate community. I love your mission and what you're doing. So just so happy to be a part of it. Well, I'm just humbled to be on the same channel with you right now. I'm I'm excited for this. So take us back. You've been doing this for a long time and you've had a ton of success. So how did you even get started in real estate? So it was truly luck. So I'm 25 years in the business. I graduated Colgate University in 1998. I was an English major. I didn't even know real estate was a thing back then. So all my friends had investment banking jobs. I went to the Career Service Center And lo and behold, there was a job posting for a real estate sales associate position, a small boutique firm in New York City that was co-founded by a Colgate alum. So that was my that was my shot. I put my resume in. Uh, We they like to joke with me uh, months later after I actually got the job that only two people applied for the job. And I was, in fact, their second choice. So, yes, <laughs> Bob Knackle, awesome. and that's a, a name that maybe some of you have heard out there. He he hired, uh, he ended up, I started my career with him and Paul Massey uh, started with the other associates. So, it was, you know, it was a great way to get into the business. Uh, they were, remain incredible mentors to me today. And we were a firm that specialized in the sale of multifamily retail, uh, did a little development, a little bit of office. Uh, here in New York City. And it was just a great way to learn the business uh, from that brokerage lens. And that also gave me uh, an eye into the world of investing. So that's interesting. A lot of people that I talk to that are highly successful, like yourself, started on the residential side, and many of them kind of migrated over to the commercial side, you know, more zeros, more fear, right? So you jumped in, sort of jumped in right out of the gate in the commercial side, it sounds like. Yeah. And um, again, this was all new to me. I, I think I was fortunate and there's, uh, you know, there's certainly parallels and similarities between residential brokerage and commercial. I mean, our goal is to go out and find owners who will retain us to sell their properties. And so, of course, when we sell property, it's all about the numbers, although sometimes we sell properties to businesses who uh, want to own or occupy. You know, residential, you would say, you know, that's much more of a personal, emotional type decision. Uh, My brother-in-law is a residential broker, so we trade war stories all the time. It's just different. You know, the people I call, this is what they do for 
for a job, for their business. And I have clients who we've done multiple transactions with. Typically, if you're on the residential side, you sell someone a home, you know, maybe they outgrow it in five years, they call you back, you help them find a new place, but you don't have someone, unless if they're, uh, you know, ultra uh, wealthy and they decide they want to go out and buy three or four or five different homes. Uh, but for the most part, uh, I just like the appeal of uh, the business aspect of what we're doing. And again, we can really create uh, relationships with investors who want to do uh, multiple repeat business. Yeah, I think a lot of our listeners are on the residential side. We have some in the commercial also, but you know, I think they they target real estate investors because of that reoccurring. So it's not one every four years; it might be four in a year kind of thing. So it it does create some residual, if you call it that. Um, working with real estate investors. Now, you work with real estate investors investors also. They're just buying bigger projects. Is is this only in New York or are you have you expanded outside of that? So um and, and it was kind of you to say that that I I own my brokerage shop. It it is partially true. So I work for Avis and Young, which is we're a global full service company. We have 120 offices around the world. We are principally owned. So I'm one of 750 owners of the company. Okay. But my role is I head up sales here in the tri-state region. I would say the majority of our sales are here in New York City, but occasionally we'll get an assignment in New Jersey, Connecticut, Long Island. But for the most part, we're handling sales here in New York City. You know, our typical deal could be a 20 to 50 unit apartment building. Maybe it has some retail on the ground floor, but we also do some boutique office deals. Uh, we sell just straight retail. The ground floor buildings is retail condos. We sell development sites for rental development, for condominium development. And we sell a little bit of industrial. There actually isn't too much of it here in the city. Uh, so it's nice. I actually enjoy the fact that we handle all the different asset classes. So depending on what's going on in the market, we can kind of focus in on the asset class that's really performing. So yeah, our average deal size is kind of in that 15 to $20 million range. You know, we can dip down and if it's for a good client, you know, we could do a sale for two, $3 million, but we go all the way up into the two, $300 million range as well. Wow. That's huge. And this is how you got going was in this industry, um, sell, doing transactions for the commercial side. Now, how did you, or tell me about the investment side sure. of your business. Um, what was your first project? What'd that look like? Yeah. So I was very fortunate early on in my career to have met uh, a developer uh, through NYU. And you, you mentioned some of the schools. And I, I think those can be incredible networks for people as well as a place to learn. And one of the students I had met in the classroom uh, called me afterwards said, James, I think I've found this incredible opportunity down in Greenwich Village. And it's a boutique development project, conversion project. And he said, I have it uh, tied up. He had signed a contract for it. Uh, he had it under contract for a million eight. And he said, um, I think I, I'd like for you to go out and sell the contract. As a broker, he wanted me to try to find someone to step into his shoes. And very quickly, within a matter of two to three weeks, I had offers at two and a half, $2.6 million. So I knew that he got a great deal on the property. He had bought it off market. It wasn't properly marketed. And so, but after that, he says, James, I really appreciate your efforts, but this is such a great deal. I'm going to just buy it myself. And so at that point I said, well, what about, would you take on an investor? And I didn't even know what that meant at the time. I mean, I knew obviously people raised money, but I didn't even understand how it worked, but I just, this was a good guy. I knew it was a great deal. He says, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm looking to raise money. I actually became his first investor ever. 
we went on for 20 years and did a bunch of projects together. So that deal, he went in and, you know, where the seller just thought, hey, this is a rundown building. I can't even collect rents. He said, look, I'm going to reposition this. I'm going to gut renovate it. I'm going to sell these as individual condos. We sold the above floors for $5 million and uh, we kept the retail. And it took a while to get the right restaurant in there. Fast forward three, four years later, we sell the restaurant for over four and a half million dollars. So we sell the ground floor of the building for more than double than we paid for the entire building. And it was this was truly the gift that's giving. And I, I, for those of you listening, um, this could definitely be you um, uh, finding the right opportunity where you can unlock this value because there, there's already some lessons here, hopefully that you're picking up. One is we found a great opportunity that was not widely marketed. That was the first lesson. The second lesson is we uh, was really Matt uh, Blesso, who I write about in my book, who taught, had vision. He said, okay, I'm going to turn this into a conversion. Then we also were so able to divide it up, sell it off. There was also other lessons. We ended up taking the proceeds from the retail. We did a 1031 tax-free exchange, and we went and bought an apartment building in Brooklyn that we still own today, the cash flows. So it's really all the benefits of, of real estate uh, and that this was truly the gift that keeps giving. Ooh, there's a lot. You're right. There is a lot to unpack there. Um, so what I'm getting out of this right now, James, is that really the the big lesson here is it's the people. Like this was your network that created this opportunity for you. Yeah, Kevin, and you I'm asked, sorry. like you yeah. asked, can I be involved? How can I be involved? Kevin, I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's such an important message for your listeners in that this is a business about the people. And the first chapter of my book, I really tell you about the team that you need because this is a business where you can gain the insider's edge by having the specialist to unlock value. So for example, if you're going to buy a multifamily apartment building and it could be New York City or it could be Denver, right? Wherever it is, you need to have the specialists who understand that product, right? So don't just go to the, your family's general estate and trust attorney. You want a multifamily attorney. You might even need a landlord tenant attorney who understands the leases to take a look at the situation. It might be a zoning attorney who understands how can you reposition the property, right? It's having the right architect that has the vision, the contractors who can execute, your manager. Um, so these are all people who are going to help make your project successful. And so you're right. It is the people that are so key to success. And you found this person because you put yourself out there and were, you were speaking. You're doing like a guest lecture at a college, yes. it sounds like. That's right. That's right. The funny thing was at the time I was doing this, I was probably five years in the business. He probably knew more about real estate investing than I did. <laughs> but I will tell you, after five years, I had a pretty good handle on brokerage. And brokerage does give you a great um, bird's eye view of the investment market because you see a lot of transactions. Yeah. If you're investing, you might just be looking at those specific deals you're doing every year, but as a broker, you see so many things. And I think that certainly was helpful writing the book as well. A lot of these schools, and yes, you can go and get your master's degree. A lot of them have continuing education as well. And they're always looking for professionals, adjunct professors who can come. I mean, let's face it, there's not a ton of money in it. You're doing this really to give back. Right. When you're when you're teaching that capacity, of course, some people choose it as a, a full time career and it's an incredible and, and honorable thing to do. But for me, I had my brokerage business. But uh, for me, I love the idea that I could go in and 
talk to, and, and what I would do is tell them about my experience as a broker. How do you um, go about finding properties? How do you value it? And so, and by the way, I learned as much from the audience as they probably did for me. So I think that's a lesson too. Sure. For, for those of you listening. You might say, hey, I'm not an expert yet, but I, I bet if you really thought about some of the things that you've, you've specialized or gotten to know about, you have value that you can share. And if you're willing to put it out there, people are going to reciprocate, right? If I, to your point, if I didn't put myself out there, I wouldn't have met Matt. He wouldn't have shown me that opportunity. How did you get the speaking engagement? Do you just call the school? Because I'm I'm very interested in this. I've mm -hmm. I've thought about how can I give back a little bit, but and potentially benefit meet some so, an intern for my my company yeah. or maybe it's yeah. So so what I do a lot of now, Kevin, is that I do guest lecturing. So I won't go in and teach an entire class, but I'll go and I'll guest lecture for one evening or one class. So what I would do is, and if you go to LinkedIn, and I know you're you're very active out there, you could see who are your contacts who currently are professors at various universities. Oh. So I have clients right now. So you say, okay, so I, I've spoken up at Columbia twice. I have two clients who are uh, guest lecturers up there, and they do a full semester, and they are happy to have me come up and speak for a class because that means that's one class where they don't have to yeah, totally. you know, fully prepare a whole lesson. So, and same thing, I have a friend who teaches at Wharton. I have a, multiple friends who teach at NYU. So now I just say, hey, why don't I come in and you know, you, you could talk about you know, what you're doing at the Pine Financial Group and um, how you go about doing business, maybe do a case study. I think that would be you know, super interesting. And by the way, even calling you know, local universities in your area you know, call the, the the real estate department or the business school and say, hey, would you like me to come guest lecture to your students? Uh, and I, I'm sure they'd be happy to have you. So so when you do a guest lecture, is it like a like a PowerPoint kind of thing or is it just getting up there and sitting at a podium? Like, how does it look? When I guess when, when I was an adjunct professor, I would certainly have a deck and there was a lot of material. But when you get to guest lecture, I like to just go up and speak. Um, and I think uh, this also kind of talks about public speaking, which I've actually spent a lot of time on, and I could still be a lot better public speaker. But the most important thing is when you're addressing a crowd, it's all about them. So we're, we're talking right now, we're going back and forth, but you know, for, for the person listening out there right now, we, we are trying to give you knowledge. We are trying to speak to you. We're trying to put ourselves in your shoes and say, okay, if I was listening to this podcast, what would I want to hear? Like, what is that piece of knowledge that I'm missing? So actually, when I go into the classroom now, the first thing I do is say, hi, everyone. I'd love to get a sense of the room so I can be most helpful to you all. Okay, show of hands. How many of you own investment property right now? And let's say I go into a room of 40 people. There's probably five or six people who raise their hand. Okay, not bad. Great. How many of you would like to own investment property? Pretty much every other hand goes up. And then there's a couple of people to raise your hand. I said, okay, well, so either maybe you're in the wrong place. I don't know. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe you're, you picked the wrong classroom or maybe you're just not convinced yet. But, you know, then I asked them, well, what's holding you back, right? And so really trying to understand, right? So if the goal of my book and what I'm trying to teach and hopefully what we're accomplishing on the podcast right now is try to help people make that step. So if you're listening to this right now and you've yet to buy an investment property, you know, what we want to try to do is help you make that leap of faith. So what is that thing holding you back right now? Most of the students will say, 
well, it's knowledge. I need to learn more. I don't know enough. Although, I mean, I've got a podcast. I've interviewed dozens and dozens of people. They all say, look, I learned by doing this. And the, my first couple investments were awful. I made tons of mistakes. So yes, you need to have knowledge. You need to have expertise. You need to study. But at some point, you need to take the leap, right? So then what's the real fear? It's usually nine times out of 10 lack of capital. Like, James, that's great. You're you know, a billion-dollar broker in New York. I don't have, I'm not independently wealthy. I don't have $10 million in the bank. How do you expect me to jump in there and, you know, buy one of these trophy assets in New York? And I said, you know, look, that's a very, you know, now we're getting to the heart of it, Kevin. Now we're answering what is preventing you from making the leap. And so what I try to convey the rest of the class is that your value, okay, if you, unless if you are independently wealthy and maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, I'm listening to this because I want to learn who should I, you know, work with to find these great deals? But, you know, for those of you listening who aren't independently wealthy, you might think, okay, well, my value is finding the opportunity, right? And so I've found the deal. I have, I've studied the market. I have the business plan. Now I have to find a partner to help me execute on this, a capital partner who I can work with until I have my own track record where I can go out and do my own thing. So then we can really start talking about practical ways to get into this. And it's more of a conversation. Like if, if I did that in a PowerPoint, it's, it's already scripted, right? Now, I see. Yeah. If, if, if you're presenting on something really technical on how you do, um, and I know you do consultations, you do, you know, you do a lot of specific things. Um, you might need a deck to kind of talk about the steps in the process. Okay, well, we do a consultation. This is how we do it. These are the steps we take. This is the, the bullet points, right? Yes. But if it's, if it's more of a conversation where you're really trying to figure out how can you be most helpful to the audience, I like it to be more of a conversation. This episode is brought to you by Pine Financial Group. Pine Financial is a private lender specializing in short-term rehab lending to real estate investors. Got a property that needs some love? We can help. We are able to offer funding solutions because we raise private money from individual investors. With more than 15 years of experience, Pine offers passive investors an alternative that provides stability, consistency, and security to your portfolio. If you like real estate but want to avoid the ups and downs and effort, a Pine mortgage fund could be a perfect fit for you. Accredited investors will experience an 8% preferred return and profit sharing. Diversify your portfolio out of Wall Street and into Main Street with a Pine Financial Group mortgage fund. Get more information at pinefinancialgroup.com. That's pinefinancialgroup.com. I want to I want to dig into that fear, but I'm going to come back to it. So what I want to ask you now, we we have a, several mortgage funds. So we're on the debt side of the business. You're you're definitely on the equity side. Um, we've got not even half, 15 years, and I'm approaching half of what you've been able to accomplish with your $350 million. So tell me about your funds. How, what are they? How do they work? It sounds like maybe blind funds and you go out and find assets. And so tell me, tell me a little bit more about your real estate funds. Yeah. So Kevin, I know you're on the, the debt side. So when we raise these funds and they're closed now and, and fully divested, uh, but we, we uh, raised uh, JV equity funds. So our thesis was and again, I saw this in the brokerage standpoint that, you know, if you're going out doing a 50, $100 million deal, there, there's institutional equity partners who will write a $20 million equity check, right? Some of these funds, they're not going to look at a $5 million or $2 million deal. It's not worth their time, right? So the thesis was, 
90% of the transactions happen at under $50 million. And yet 90% of the organized capital is focused at the 50 million plus. So there's this mismatch in capital. So what if we could raise dedicated JV equity where a partner could come to us with um, a $10 million deal that they're going to get 6 million of financing. So they need 4 million of equity and they're going to put a million dollars in, but they need $3 million. We were that $3 million piece. Ah, uh, perfect. Okay. And your, your investors were mostly institutions then like Wall we Street actually, Capital. No, we had high net worth individuals who invested in our fund and then we invested on their behalf with sponsors. And yes, it was a, uh, a blind fund where we raised money and then we went out and made uh, about eight to 10 investments over two funds. So how did you meet the high net worth investor? That was great question was really through our relationships. It was our clients. What we found was that through brokerage and selling properties for a lot of wealthy families where maybe someone didn't want to have to deal with the management aspect of running a hundred unit apartment building anymore, but they wanted to stay in the game, right? So they said, all right, I'd rather give my money to someone else and let them uh, run the deal. So that was really where a lot of it came from, but also some of our friends in the business, other brokerage firms, uh, other service providers, attorneys in the business. So it was really people, we thought when we went out there, it was going to be a, a bunch of doctors and dentists who yeah. were going to come in and look, maybe they would have had interest, but that wasn't our world. We didn't know them. And what we found was that people who are already in the real estate business said, okay, we know these guys, we know they have a great, um, they have a great place where they sit in the market. And so, you know, we trust them and we want them to deploy our capital. It's so interesting. Every once in a while, it's pretty rare, but every once in a while, I'll teach classes on how to raise capital. Um, I haven't had the same success as you, but I've had some success. And I say there's your three most likely investors, your top three candidates, if you're talking about low-hanging fruit. One is going to be people that already know you. Two is going to be people that are referred to you. So do what you say. And then three, it's going to be people already in the industry. So I say that, and that sounds like that's exactly what you're saying. Absolutely right. Yes. And by the way, this is a pitch for those of you who have not heard Kevin's story because you were kind enough to come on my podcast. So you should you should listen to that episode because you did a great job explaining that in more depth. Yeah, thank you. And let's talk about your podcast. You've had a ton of success with that. So mm -hmm. tell us about the podcast. And I'm curious to dig in, like, how has that benefited you? Well, again, it all started with seeing how could I be of most help to the audience. So I'm a big fan of Donald Miller, the story brand. I don't know if you know that name. It's kind of along the same lines of what I was talking about before, which is, you know, any content uh, that you put out there, it can't be about you, right? It's got to be about how can be most helpful for your audience, right? So first of all, I enjoy it. I'm passionate. I like helping people. I like getting them inspired to do things, right? But again, the podcast was, and it started in mid, late 2020. We're all still sitting at home. And I didn't even know what a podcast was at that time. I mean, maybe I'd heard of it, but I certainly didn't listen to them. And I said, wait a second, I can go on this thing called Zoom and then I can uh, record a conversation and then can stream it out there and people can listen to it. And so I didn't even really know what I was doing at the time. And I think there's a lesson learned there you know, there's someone listening to this right now who's thinking, oh, wow, maybe I'd like to start a podcast, but you know what? It's probably too tough. It's probably a lot of work. And, you know, the answer, you know, very similar to investing, it's about people. You can start asking around 
and people can help you. I mean, I'm sure people reached out to you, you know, Hey, Kevin, how did you start your podcast? How do you do it? How do you launch it? I mean, you know, maybe you don't have the full playbook, but you might say, Hey, call my producer or call this person or that. So it's a lot easier. I think sometimes when people just say, Oh, well, I don't know, it's just going to be too tough to figure it out. And I'm sure you're, you're more on the other side, like me, it's like, you know what, let's just jump in and figure it out. You know? And yeah. that's, I think that's makes life interesting. Like when I wrote a, started writing the book again, I knew nothing about the publishing world. I didn't know how it worked, but I asked my good friend, Ryan Serhant, who had written two best-selling books. And I said, Ryan, how did you do it? Oh, okay. You get an agent. Okay. You get an agent and then you get a book deal. Okay. So I got a book deal with McGraw Hill. I mean, which is a, a pretty reputable publisher. So, and again, even then it was a learning process to understand how it all works, but you got to put yourself out there. That's cool. I, I got rejected from a handful of publishers. So I just self-published and I've, I've done two now, um, self-published on both, but well, yeah, congrats Kevin, on your book I, deal. I, yeah, Kevin, I think the agent is a big piece to it because, you know, maybe, you know, again, I'm sure you could figure out how to get to the publisher and ask the question, but having the agent, first of all, is that credibility piece where they've already vetted you and they, they speak the language of the publishers. They know how to position it. I will tell you, Kevin, that when I got my book deal, it only half of it was about what the book was actually about. The other half of the proposal was, okay, great, James, we're going to give you this book deal. How are you going to go sell the book? Right. And I would think, well, Hey, you're the publisher. That's your job. Right. But it was, they wanted to understand what my audience was. Right. So maybe Kevin, there's a chance that when you put it out there, maybe you didn't position it in the right way, right? Because you just don't know. So maybe right. for the next time, you know, but look, I applaud you for getting it out there for self-publishing. And that's what's most important, right? Is it's out there. You did it. Yeah. And for me, it wasn't, I mean, gosh, I would, I, I wish I could put a sticker. I'm holding this up for those of you that are listening. I'm holding his book up. I wish I could put a sticker on my book that says Wall Street Journal bestseller. I was able to hit number one on Amazon, but that's not the same thing. Let's be honest. So this is really cool. You should be very proud of that. Uh, but for me, it was more about just being just a credibility um, because you, you know this, right, James, if you say you're a best-selling author, that, that carries a little bit of weight. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that if I was going to do this was really going to put the best effort forth. And yes, part of that was an agent, but a big part of it was having a writing partner. And her name is on the front of the book. So it's not just me. It's Rachel Hartman who helped me write this. She's a very accomplished book uh, business writer. And so, you know, you put a lot of time and effort into this. We just wanted to make sure that it had the best reception. And again, the, the reality, Kevin, is that if you do self-publish, it's very, very challenging to make those best seller lists, yeah. the journal, New York Times. You know, the fact that yeah. it was McGraw-Hill published already gets me in, in the running and so, again, it was it was definitely a team effort to to get there. Well, great job. So if I was to buy this book, you were gracious enough to share one with me. But if I was to buy this, what, what would I learn? Assuming that you knew nothing about real estate investing. OK, and I know that's not true. But for those of you listening right now, maybe you, you tuned in, you, you found this would be that after you've read the book, you understand how real estate investing works. OK, not just the theory practical how to okay i wanted this to be a how to step by step starting with what do you buy what are the various options okay if you're doing commercial real estate investing what does that look like okay then 
what's your team? And we talked about that. Okay. And who's a great partner who can help you do this, right? And then how do you go find the opportunities? Okay. How do you close them? How do you reposition them? How do you reap the rewards? So I really believe that after you read this book, you're going to understand how this works. Now, of course, you're not going to learn it all by reading one book, but I really hope that this will be a great roadmap uh, for your listeners if they really want to understand how commercial real estate investing works. Okay, so let's help the listener out here. You mentioned that the biggest fear that you hear is the lack of capital, and you have a section in here called raise capital. In fact, it looks like it might be section number six. So what one piece of advice from your book to our listeners for them to get over that fear of lack of capital? Yeah, I think it goes back to finding that partner because the challenge of your first deal, right? And everybody has to have a first deal is even if you go to friends and family, right? And you're right, that's your network. But they might say, you know what? I like you, I trust you. Meaning I, I trust that you'll, you'll be a good steward of my capital, but do you, you don't have the track record and you don't have the experience. Of course you don't. If this is your first deal, how could you? Having that experienced partner to say, look, I'm involved in the project. I found it. I've partnered with the best in class sponsor. He or she has done a dozen of these transactions. That is so helpful because first of all, they'll have their own investors, right? But then you can also leverage, hey, you're not just investing in me. You're investing with my partner. Look, and this is your track record. So that is really key to raising capital. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. So I, I said you're most likely your most likely investor is someone that knows you. I do believe that. But for me, in my own journey, I chose not to go after my own network first because of what you're saying right now. I wanted to build that track record before I approached anybody in my my sphere, right? So I I hustled and I worked and I went out and networked and coffees and lunches and little classes I would teach and all of that to get that experience. So it's interesting that you're saying what you're saying about having a partner. And that's the second time you've mentioned that now. So a good partner both helps you manage the asset if they understand the asset and helps you raise capital, it sounds like. That's right. Yeah, that's great. All right. So anything else about the book you want to share? And then we can share how to how to buy it? Sure. Well, I mean, the, again, there's very specific advice in there, uh, how to gain this insider's edge. Um, relationships with brokers, super important as they're the ones who often find a lot of the opportunities. And I also talk about the number one thing uh, to find a great opportunity is seller's motivation. Why is the person selling? So that's that's really important. So I go into depths uh, in the book on that as well. Is this mostly com- like the commercial side of things? Sounds like. Well, c- commercial to me is five plus units. But yeah. does if you read this book and you're plan is to house hack or to go flip homes. Is it going to work for that? Yeah. I I think a lot of the methodology uh, is similar. It's not going to specifically address kind of the, you know, how to reposition and find those assets. But I I think anyone who is investing in real estate, whether it's flipping homes or, you know, trying to buy uh, the empire state building, you're going to get something out of this. Cool. So now for the question I've been dying to ask you, we talked earlier about putting yourself out there and you've done that. You've written a book, you're a speaker, you're an author, you're out there in the colleges speaking. Thank you for the advice on that. I'm going to take you up on, I'm going to, I'm not take you up. I am going to follow your advice and see if I can get into um, a couple of colleges. Um, so you obviously 
fear, um, fear is not stopping you. And you said that the fear, the biggest fear you hear is the lack of capital. From my experience, what I've seen is the biggest fear that stops investors from moving forward and reaching their dreams is the fear of failing. So you obviously have overcome that. So what's a piece of advice for our listener to overcome maybe a fear of failure? It's a great question. And look, I I think you do have to acknowledge that at some point you have to take the leap, right? <clears throat> and I think, you know, one, one of my favorite interviews that I did was with Jordan Vogel. And he talked about, you know, have, even after buying a hundred different properties, he still, the next day he had buyer's remorse and, you know, did I overpay? And so I think, you know, you really have to dedicate your time and effort but once you've studied a market and you've looked at a lot of deals and you've found something that maybe it doesn't check every box, but it checks almost, you know, most of them, at some point you got to take the leap, right? And I think that that is the one piece where, yes, there is risk involved, right? But you have to rely on your instincts because I think if you, um, if you overthink at times, right, you could talk yourself out of any deal. So I think it's really having conviction after you've done the work. I'm not talking about years and years of studying. I'm also not talking about just listening to one podcast and reading a book and going and doing it. Yeah, you got you to gotta do the work. For me, when I started in brokerage, that was focusing on a neighborhood for three months, not three years, three months, figuring out all the comparable sales in the area, what were rents, what were the, what's the zoning, learning the area. Three months, I was an expert in that area, right? So, so if you're listening to this right now, you know, figure out what you want to buy, where you want to buy it, study the market, really study it, talk to the players there to learn about it. Go look at, you know, a dozen or two deals and you're going to be in a, in, a, in a really good position after that to know what's a good opportunity and what's not. I love it. Sounds like maybe find a niche and just study the heck yes. out of that niche. And then that's right. Maybe that'll bring some confidence and, and then you can go out there and find a deal. And I know you're a big believer in, in partners. So I got to believe that if you could find a right partner, that will help give you the confidence to get over that fear as well. For sure. Um, so you've mentioned you found your first deal because of the speaking engagement at colleges. Not everybody's doing that. You also mentioned that you got you to gotta work with your brokers. Brokers, a huge team member, which I 100% agree with. So how do we find a good partner or a good broker if we're not speaking inside the universities? So I think a lot of, this is an in-person business. And I think whether it's networking events, business breakfasts, um, I think what you'll find is once you've made one or two really good personal connections, whether it's a broker, whether it's an attorney, they oftentimes can make introductions to other trusted parties. Okay, love it. Yeah, so your real estate investment associations, your business, maybe leads groups or business development masterminds, just get out there, right? It sounds like that's what James is saying here. Just get out there, talk to people, and it will snowball. If you if you find one, they they talk, man. Friends talk to each other. It's a good way to raise money too. Um, anything else you want to add here before we, which I forgot to do, get the website to find your book. Is anything else you want to share with the audience here? I think um, the only other question I get often is about mentorship, which is, you know, it's great to have a mentor in this. My belief in mentorship is it really needs to be a two-way street. So don't just, you know, reach out to say, someone and say, hey, how can I learn from you, right? 
what you want to think about mentors is what, how can I help you? What can I bring to the table? You know, that's the mentality. So I think that'll be helpful. Um, and I, I write a lot about on the topic. So um, in addition to the book, I, I write a column at Forbes and that's all on jamesnelson.com. That's where you can find out about the book, the podcast, the Forbes articles. I really built it um, for each of you listening uh, to help you gain the insider's edge to real estate investing. So jamesnelson.com. You could find about the book. You can find out about his Forbes articles. You can find out about him. Um, the mentorship thing, you know, I did a video on our YouTube channel about this. I just, I want to mention it quick because it made me think of it. I, I can't agree more. I get, and I'm sure you do all the time. People just call me and say, hey, can I pick your brain? Like that, I don't know. That just drives me crazy. You guys, when someone calls me and says, can I pick your brain? Like I, I, I want to help. I want to give back, but look, we only have so much time in a day. Um, and, you know, can I take you to lunch? Can I buy a coffee? All of that. It's just so hard sometimes for us to, to satisfy those. So I would really focus in if, if you're going to target someone and you want them to help you really focus in on how you could bring value. And I'm telling you a cup of co buying coffee isn't it. Um, maybe bringing a deal or yes. a partner or an introduction, something that could really benefit them. That's where I would focus and then make your ask. So total side note, total rant. I get it. But I, I just thought of that when you when you mentioned the mentor thing. No, I think that's super helpful. And I mean, I'm sure if someone called you out of the blue and said, you know, Kevin, I've been following what you're doing at Pine Financial Group. I've been watching the deals that you're doing and I've done, I've been studying the market myself and this is what I'm observing about the way you're investing. But I have this thesis and it looks like, have you considered this? And now you're saying, okay, wait, this person is actually following what I'm doing. They're bringing something of value to the table. Okay, now- they've got your attention, right? Yeah, that, that would work. I agree. That's mm -hmm. great. Cool. Well, James, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm glad that you accepted my invitation. I was really excited for the conversation. You've obviously done a lot in your career. You've had a lot of success, best-selling book, again, the insider's edge to real estate investing. You can get that at jamesnelson.com. Um, definitely follow this guy if you're listening. Um, thank you so much, James, for coming on. I hope you have a fantastic day. Thanks so much, Kevin. This was a lot of fun. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you did, please be sure to follow and leave us a review. Oh yeah, and tell a friend.